Hi, I'm Stubaka, and I'm a Gen X grown-up, and I support Gen X grown-up on Patreon, and you should too at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. Welcome back, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener, to this, our back issue edition of the Drawn and Paneled podcast. With me, as always, today is Jason. Hey, everybody. And returning back from last week is Joe Schmalky. Joe, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. All right. Absolutely. So for those of you listening, Joe is the creator of several books, including the one we talked mostly about last week, Cherry Blackbird. He's got a new book coming out soon from Scout Comics. And I just recently heard that some of your books are going to be featured on a television show. Yeah, so um, my writing and art partner on The Electric Black, which is the Scout book we're coming out with in April, Rich Woodall, he uh, got contacted by the people from Riverdale. So uh, our books will be featured in like a comic shop in Riverdale. So uh, Scout was contacted, a couple of their books are going to be it. And then my studio mates as well, Ben Bishops, The Aggregate, and uh, Brian Wing's October Ghost will be in the show, hopefully as well. That's very cool, yeah. yes. <laughs> so it's really going to be neat. episode 315 of Riverdale. Right, episode 315, 15th episode of season three, it sounds like then. That sounds awesome. Do not blink or you'll probably miss it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's what pause buttons are for, right? Right, right. Well, speaking of really cool books, this week we decided to talk about several books over a six-issue story arc that were in different parts, mm-hmm. and it's called Craven's Last Hunt. Now, I'm going to give just a, I'm going to try and do justice with a little brief synopsis. I know, Jason, you're the huge Spider-Man fan. This is definitely a Spider-Man story, but essentially, Craven has decided one of the last things he wants to do in life is to come back and beat Peter. Parker as Spider-Man. He wants to best him. The way he decides to go about doing it is by killing Peter Parker almost and then taking over his role as Spider-Man to prove that he's a better Spider-Man than Spider-Man is. And it goes from there. There's a whole bunch of interesting characters and stuff that we're going to get into in the episode. But really neat story. I had never read it. I was so happy that you suggested it after reading it because, man, this story really grabs a hold of you from issue number one all the way through issue six. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Well, tell us a little bit about what some of the books are worth right now. I mean, I don't know if there's big value in these books or not, but I know Amazing Spider-Man usually sells well. So what are they worth right now? Right. So this spanned over three different Spider-Man titles, Amazing, Spectacular, and Web of. Uh, The big ones are the two Amazing Spider-Man books because that was his flagship title. Those guide for around $22 in near mint range. Okay. Uh, 9.8 range, not graded, but they guide for $22. If you look on eBay, they're priced at about that, maybe a little bit less. But as always, please you know, read the description, look at the picture. And when you're shopping, take a look at the book and pay what you're comfortable with. Um, The other books are around, you know, in the $10 range. 
uh, okay. for for good copies. But you know, you know, take a look. And then, as always, you can get these digitally. They have various trade paperbacks uh, for the whole set. So yeah, that's basically uh, Craven's Last Hunt. Cool. All right. Well, I don't want to waste any more time talking about the synopsis or what it's worth. I want to get right into talking about the book. Let's go. Hey there, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. I'm John, and along with Mo, hey everybody, and George, hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. Your dinner We always like to start our discussions with the creator. So, Jason, who is it that wrote these stories for Craven's Last Hunt? A gentleman by the name of J.M. DeMatteis was the writer for Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, he's well known among uh, comic book fans, especially around you know this time period, the 80s, early 90s. Uh, did a lot of Marvel work. Also was part of that uh, Justice League from the late 80s that had, you know, Batman, Guy Gardner, Green Lantern, that was kind of more of a fun Justice League. Oh, uh, so, okay. so he's he's been around and he actually uh, tried to do this story several times. He did a miniseries for Marvel uh, where it was kind of the same synopsis where somebody, you know, quote unquote, killed a hero and the hero came out of a grave. They nixed it. He tried it with DC with Batman a couple times. Uh, it got the kibosh, and he was finally able to do it with uh, Spider-Man. And he actually got to use Vermin, which is a character that he created in an issue of Captain America uh, with the artist uh, Mike Zek. Okay, so now Mike Zek was the artist on this series as well? He was the artist with um, for this Craven's Last Hunt, but he also was the co-creator of Vermin, uh, the rat-like character that they created. I believe it was 1982 in an issue of Captain America. So they got to revisit oh, okay. the character they co-created. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty neat. So I find it interesting. You talked about that these books span across three different Spider-Man titles. Mm -hmm. it was amazing Spider-Man, Web of Spider-Man, and Spectacular Spider-Man, you said, I believe was yes. the other one. Yes. It's interesting to me. I didn't realize that they would keep the same writers and artists across all six issues for the three different things. Is that common when they do these kind of cross title stories or do they use different writers and artists based on who was doing those series at the time? Cause I'm assuming that uh, these two gentlemen weren't the guys who were on those titles at the time. Traditionally, they had done it before and, You'll notice that there was like a sea change happening with the Spider-Man book at that time where uh, 
it's only a couple issues. It's not even a year later you have McFarlane drawing it, and it gets really more like superhero again. This was like a dark, dark chapter in Spider-Man's history. And right after it, they came out with a super bizarre series that spanned all three titles, which was called uh, Life in the Mad Dog Ward. Mm-hmm. So it's like right after Craven's Last Hunt, it goes into this very, very dark story that like no one ever talks about. But basically, Peter Parker gets locked up at a mental institution. Oh, wow. OK. So what about keeping these two artists? Were they writing the series at the time? Were they writing all three or were they doing something else and they just came on board for this series? Right. They they jumped on to this series uh, for this this story. I think uh, J.M. D. Mateus had pitched the idea and then they linked him up with Mike Zek. Uh, they had worked together before. And because there's there's some significant things happen in this book um, or in this story that the editorial staff at Marvel decided, well, let's just instead of just having it an amazing Spider-Man, let's do it with um, all three titles because uh, instead of trying to keep track of where Peter is, you know, he's buried. Let's have the same team do it across, you know, all the titles and make it a six part, you know, crossover story. Well, it came off really well. I didn't even notice. I mean, I know that I'm reading it later on, you know, trade paperback style and everything. I didn't notice the transition between the different series, although I'm sure back in the day I would have seen that like, oh, wait, this was in Amazing Spider-Man last month. Why is it in Web of Spider-Man this month? But I think that was a really neat thing. I don't know if that's something that's commonly done or if it's only been done this one time, but they did seem to keep the same stable of artists and creators around. So we know that they had JM DeMatteis and Mike mm-hmm. Zek, but the inker was Bob McCloyd. Can you tell us anything about him? Right. So Bob McCloud is a well-known inker with Marvel. McCloud. Okay. Not McCloyd, McCloud. McCloud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's spelled, it's spelled uh, different, kind of interesting, but yeah, McCloud, uh, he's a, he's a really good inker. Uh, he also does some art as well. He's actually the, co-creator along with Chris Claremont of the new mutants, which was a popular eighties X-Men spinoff cannonball, uh, sunspot, all those folks. Uh, he is the co-creator of the new mutants. New mutants are getting a movie soon or supposedly, right? Finally, it's been pushed back several times, but we'll hopefully this summer see the new mutants on the big screen. Nice. Joe, you're an artist and a creator yourself. Do you have any uh, memories of these three gentlemen? Like, do you know any of their works or were you a fan or not? At Boston two years ago, I finally met Mike Zek for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I brought him part two of uh, Craven's Last Hunt, which was the Amazing Spider-Man issue. Right. Uh, Because I believe it started in Web of. But anyways, I brought it to him and I wanted him. I wanted to talk to him about it because um, I read it when I was 10. I was like, I just want you to know that this this book like changed how I viewed comic books forever. Like I didn't know comic books could be this deep and meaningful. And um, it was really, a, like I said before, it's really dark and heavy subject matter. You've got uh, cannibalism, suicide, serial killing. Uh, it starts off with a funeral scene. And right. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it. It was something different that was brought to – I had read um, the Punisher miniseries that was also drawn by Mike Zek uh, mm-hmm. around the same time. And uh, his artwork is amazing. 
he is one of the greatest illustrators, period. So wow. uh, it was great High praise. <laughs> yes. That this series made me want to do comic books, basically. It's one of my favorite Spider-Man stories. I guess you kind of liked him then, it sounds like, maybe a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's also a couple other people who contributed greatly to these books. There was a letterer named Rick Parker, and there were some colorists, Bob Sharon, Janet Jackson, and Mike Zeck also did some color as well. Now, I'm guessing, Jason, that Janet Jackson is not the same singer who went crazy at the Super Bowl halftime show a few years ago. This is a completely different Janet yeah, Jackson. Yeah, no, this, this, is, this isn't Michael's sister. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, no. But she she's interesting, and I'll put a link to her story. Uh, she's also a, a graphic designer and, and advertising kind of layout sort of person with Marvel and also did some coloring and has been with some other publishers, so she has an interesting career. I know Rick Parker. He lives up here. Oh, really? Okay, cool. I've done shows with him and stuff. Yeah, he he was the guy at Marvel that was lettering everything. Oh, wow. At mm-hmm. that time. Uh, he went on to do Beavis and Butthead, the comic book. <laughs> yep, he did. Nice. All right, so some great ties in these creators. I can't wait to start talking about the characters. Autobot alert. Disclosure averted. Continue observation. Are you ready for Infinity Con Year 6? March 2nd and 3rd in Lake City, Florida. You will see Bob Layton, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate Tournament, a $1,000 grand prize cosplay contest. We will have artists, vendors, and more you don't want to miss this year. It's at March 2nd and 3rd in Lake City, Florida. InfinityConFL.com for more information today. Now let's get into the characters, and unlike some of the stories we've been uh, reading recently, George, that have a million characters. We've got (laughs) about four main characters that we really get to dive deep into. Well, I guess the title character is going to be the first one we should talk about, right? Craven? Craven, that's right. Yeah, so Craven is the world's best big game hunter, is the way that I've seen him listed before in different Wikipedia sources Mm -hmm. and things like that. He was a really interesting character. I remember... Growing up, I would see his character on covers and in different, you know, like in the spinning metal racks and stuff. And he always had that that lion mane thing Mm -hmm. draped over his shoulders and the spear and the loincloth and whatnot. Really creepy looking, but interesting character for a young man to see. He was always kind of an interesting character and he was kind of always, I don't know, sort of last on the list as far as like I remember as far as Spider-Man villains because it was like oh this guy in a loincloth but right. <laughs> this story as we'll get into it gave a lot of depth and insight into the character of Craven. Oh yeah sure there was there was a lot of stuff in this six issue series that made me like I hadn't really read Craven stuff before but after mm-hmm. reading this I really want to read more about him I'm not sure if he's going to be as deep as he was in this series but there was some great stuff the guys really put together a great storyline mm-hmm. uh, you can't have a Spider-Man comic though without Spidey himself yeah this is definitely a big Spider-Man story and we get to see a lot of the introspective uh aspect of Spider-Man where he's kind of questioning why he cares, why he does what he does. Uh, You know, he's afraid that somebody may die. He's had friends recently die. 
uh, you know, prior to this story happening. Uh, Joe, you got anything else to add about Spider-Man? You can see that he cares about even the villains that he's dealing with. You know, the uh, with the opening scene where he's giving money at the funeral right. to the the thug that he regularly right. shakes down mm-hmm. or to the point where he's being captured by Craven and he's, he's like, he's not going to do it. He's not going to kill, you know, he, Peter Parker is just a good man. And through the story, Craven from, you know, violating him and burying him alive and doing all this stuff and taking over his mantle breaks Spider-Man a little bit. Mm-hmm. And sure. he, he loses it and he when he kicks the crap out of Craven later in the series um, to the point where he almost crosses the line. It gets yeah. close. Right, right, right. Well, speaking about characters that have crossed over the line, what about this character Vermin? You mentioned him earlier, Jason, that he was created by both the writer and the artist on this series a while back in the Captain America mm-hmm. issues. But this was a really, I don't want to say unique character because – I probably use that term a little too often on drawn and panel, but he was a very complex character. He had a different range of emotions from just your typical everyday supervillain. He is a very interesting character. He's very creepy, but he's got a animalistic side to him because we see him eating people in the sewer, but he also has this very, you know, childlike persona that he's, you know, can't always formulate his thoughts. He's spooked easily um, and questions a lot of things as well. But then he kind of gets into this animalistic side where he's just a vicious, nasty character at the same time. It, he almost has like some Gollum tendencies yes. in the way that he was written a little bit. You can see, you know, his, he never says my precious, but there's no, a couple no, of times no. when it feels like he's going to. Yeah. So with him, they like they went full bore with his villainy. You know, he's he's a serial killer of women. Uh, he's abducting women off the street and then he's eating them in the sewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where he was kind of a coward before. I mean, yeah, he's. He's murdering people, but he's he's not like being big and bold and brash like a Dr. Doom coming around. Right. It's not the proclamation. I am here to conquer the world. This is like, you know, he's just on the down low, on the secret, trying to live his life, but in a completely demonstrative evil way. Mm-hmm. But for his warped mind and all the things that have happened to him in his past, it's the only way that he can enjoy himself to survive. I mean, it's. It's a very creepy look at the human side of our evil a little bit. Now, when you want to go the opposite direction, though, of that evil, you've got to look toward the love interest of Spidey. Probably my favorite love interest that Spider-Man has ever had, Mary Jane. Yeah, she's my favorite, too. Uh, they are recently uh, married and, you know, are in the process of moving in together. Uh, during the storyline, not during like story today. Line. Yeah, not to today. No, no. Uh, but they're in the process during this storyline of moving in. They just got married and poor Mary Jane doesn't know where Peter is. Um, and, you know, she's trying to find him. Um, she knows that, you know, she what she got into when she married him. But uh, she's a great character. Um, she's very independent. Uh, I I've always liked the character, and I thought that she was very good in the story. My takeaway from it was there's this great moment where Craven has taken over the mantle of Spider-Man, and she knows it's not Peter. Yeah, right you know away. I mean? mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. a the build is like totally different because 
Craven's like twice the size of Peter anyway. Right. But right. like his the savagery that he's displaying when he's beating people up as Spider-Man, she's like, that's not him. You know, so. Well, and that's what I like, yeah. that it's not that she points out that he's twice the size. She points out that her man would never do those things. Right. And then there's the the moment where he looks at her. He's not going to hurt her or anything because he's he's trying to be a better Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Right. But you're not going to be Spider-Man without Mary Jane. That's right. Nope. <laughs> Someday I'll be giving the orders, Rumble. You'll do what I say. Look, Star Scream. Megatron is strong. He's merciless. He can't be beaten. Is the world of today getting you down? Well, then why not check in on some of the good stuff that happened this week in movies, TV, games, and more 30, 20, and 10 years ago this very week with our show 30 2010. You may have seen NBC's TV movie A Twist of Fate. A Nazi who became a Jew and for decades he got away with it. How could you do it? Ben Cross, Veronica Hamill, Twist of Fate. Premiere Sunday. Yeah. A Nazi who became a Jew. If we, oh my God, it's the reverse Stephen Miller story. <laughs> if we hadn't had... And now I have to see it because like the scene where they show him like a Nazi who became a Jew, that little clip on the YouTube video <laughs> is like the Joker's transition. Oh, he had plastic. The had story plastic, is he had plastic surgery. So what plastic surgery did you have, my yeah, friend, to make yourself look be more specific. Jewish? specific. <laughs> just, a, just a Nazi trying to do the right thing. Jump into the past with 302010 every Thursday on lasertimepodcast.com or iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Five, four, three, two, one. As we've said before, and we shall say again, you take the creators, you take the characters, and once you put them all together, you end up with a wonderful story. And in this case, probably one of the best Spider-Man stories of all time. I know you guys are really hot on this one. I am as well now having read it. One of the biggest parts of this storyline, though, is at the very beginning, it comes across to me as somebody who's kind of a Spider-Man neophyte mm-hmm. and uh, certainly a Craven neophyte. Right. He, it looks like he's got some kind of terminal disease the way they set up the first few pages of this book, the way he's reminiscing and everything like he's dying of something that they don't really ever explain. Like I expected them to come across and say he's got a brain tumor at some point or cancer or something. But that kind of informs the rest of the story as it moves along throughout the six issues. I felt what did you guys think of how Craven's demeanor was from the beginning? I definitely took it as him having like some sort of mental disorder because mm-hmm. they reference it later with his mother committing suicide. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think he had come to a point where, um, and this is, this is just an opinion. I don't know what the writer really thought about it because I've never talked to him about it, but I, I always took it as, um, he had achieved everything that he wanted to in life. Mm-hmm. He was accepting his fate, but he had one more thing to do. Right. And it was to to best his his ultimate nemesis. Well, sure. He even yes. comes right out and says that directly in a couple of spots. Right. Yeah. Spider-Man's always gotten the better of him. Yeah. And he wants to be him, though. You know, he, yeah. he realizes he, he can be this better version of him, that he wants to be in him. And, uh, you know, he goes through this whole transformation with the eating of the spiders and everything like that in the tank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the symmetry, both in the speech and the imagery in the series. Mm-hmm. I noticed for myself, like I said, being a person who hasn't read this stuff that often, that 
there were several times when there was a speech that was delivered and the panel art and everything. And then a couple of pages later, I was reading what to me felt like the same speech. I had to go back and look like, wait, did I accidentally flip the pages backwards or something? What? But it was the same speech, just in a different context. And I found that very interesting to inform the story because there was even the poem that he starts off with at the beginning of the book. And then at the end of the book, right. And the last word, every time he uses that poem is symmetry. Mm-hmm. Well, does anybody know what that was about? Well, it's based on a famous poem, uh, the tiger. Okay. But they replaced it with spider. And, and this originally was titled fearful symmetry. And then it became popular and kind of known as Craven's last hunt. So as it's gone on, uh, to be reprinted, people just refer to it as Craven's Last Hunt. Oh, but, yeah. okay. Didn't know that. So, yeah, a lot of people know it as Craven's Last Hunt. But yeah, the, yeah, the imagery and the, the speeches and everything, uh, I kind of caught that this time reading it through as well. Um, you know, everybody's kind of, you know, everybody's thinking about their own mortality in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, Spider-Man, Craven, um, even Vermin. To Vermin, some, yeah. yeah. Another thing that uh, this story focused on uh, briefly was uh, Peter and Mary Jane uh, being newlyweds, but we don't get to see a lot of them together. We just kind of imply that they're recently married and are in the process of moving in together, which gives this a little bit of um, some stakes to Spider-Man. He wants to protect Mary Jane, uh, but you know, it's also pr- pretty devastating that they just get married and then her husband disappears for two weeks. Well, yeah, and that ties directly into Spider-Man's death, right? You right. know, we've got Craven, he shoots him with a dart mm-hmm. and buries him. I really liked symbolically how they showed the gravedigger digging the grave during out different panels, mm-hmm. but you never get to see the tombstone until after somebody's put in the ground. Right. I thought that was really smart. But of course that ties into Mary Jane, her sense of loss, you know, he's disappeared and everything. And then the news is out that there's Spider-Man's doing all these evil things and everything. Mm-hmm. And she knows right away it's not him. And you have to wonder if she doesn't think at some point, you know, is he dead? Did somebody kill him and take over his mantle, so to speak, which is exactly what Craven was trying to portray. Mm-hmm. I found the whole Spidey's death and Newlywood's angle really intriguing throughout this whole thing. And it's definitely the first time in their marriage that they get to that point where she thinks he's he didn't make it. You mm-hmm. know, like he fights by bad guys a lot, but like he never disappears for weeks. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and she even talked a little bit about that. Like they weren't they were just recently married in here, but they've been together, obviously, for a long time. There was an engagement period, I'm sure. And mm-hmm. they had known each other since high school. So or even earlier. But I think that her understanding of who he is and what he does still didn't stem the fear and doubt when he went missing. Like it even intensified it, if anything else. Yeah. Right. It, it's not a Spider-Man story without Spider-Man doubting himself. You know, he's questioning, <laughs> you know, he, he questions why he's going to this funeral that Joe's mentioned a few times at the beginning for just, the, you know, a low level street thug. Uh, why does he even care that this guy died? And then he's doubting, you know, about his friends that, you know, he hasn't been able to save some of his friends that they die around him. Um, and then when he's in his hallucination state, uh, when he's buried, he sees some of his friends that have passed and, you know, he just has yeah, a lot of, that, like, lot of doubt. Room. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. You're right. That all ties into his doubt. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just creepy. It's weird, but it's Spider-Man. You would think somebody with the powers and the abilities that Spider-Man has, mm-hmm. you would think you would be way more confident. But I guess that's part of the attraction for readers that Spider-Man, even though he has all these wonderful gifts, He's still unsure of who he is. It's that same high school kid, even though now he's grown up and married. Mm-hmm. He's still got that same thing that we all have deep inside of us about not being sure of what it is we're about to do, why we're doing it, if it's going to be successful. I mean, they just take it to the extreme in this story. Absolutely, they do. And uh, even uh, Spider-Man, at times, though, his doubt, uh, he's a little overconfident when he's fighting Craven. He thinks Craven's a, a pushover, um, which leads to his death. He thinks, you know, oh, Craven will just lock me away and rant and I'll get away. But that's not what happens. Yeah, so. right. It's like he's almost foreseeing the James Bond moment and right. it never happens, you know, where <laughs> yeah. he sets out this elaborate trap that he'll be able to escape from before he's dead. You know, that takes us right into Craven assuming the role of Spider-Man. We mentioned it in brief here and there. This was a really unique take on a way to prove your superiority Mm -hmm. to an enemy. If I want to show that I'm better than this person, I'm going to become that person and be a better version of that person. I can't remember reading anything like that before this. I read this about 15 years ago when I got back into comics. I had heard that it was a, you know, a classic Spider-Man story. And back then and even now, it still strikes me as something kind of unique of I'm going to defeat my enemy and become a better version of them. And Joe, you're a writer, you're a creator, you're an artist. Was this something that influenced any of your stuff later on? I know you're mostly in the horror genre, but you're a big Spider-Man fan. Is this Craven's Last Hunt, especially the way that Craven has taken over the story? Because yes, this is a Spider-Man title, but I don't think anybody will debate that the star of the story is Craven for sure. Oh yeah. Was that something that influenced you at all in your creative process later? I like bad guys. And actually, uh, Spider-Man at that time was wearing the black costume, mm-hmm. which right. is, I think, one of his best costumes. But anyway. Yeah, I the, agree. Um, yeah, the Secret Wars costume. Absolutely. And like this was the end of it. Like a couple issues later, he's back in the red costume forever. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? So, oh, I yeah. didn't know that. This was issue 292, 293 of Amazing Spider-Man. Issue 300 is the last issue of the black costume, basically. Oh, wow. They, mm-hmm. they bring it back every once in a while for like an issue here, an issue there. But it's 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 pretty much red and blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like out. the away game jerseys that no football team really wants to wear, right? right. It's, <laughs> it's one of those things I reflected on, too. I think so much bad stuff happened at, uh, to Spider-Man in the black costume that – Mary Jane made him ditch it. And I don't think it was just Venom. I think it was the Craven thing, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially because this seems like it's very traumatic for her, right? Yeah. And the the two times she's, like, threatened by a Spider-Man character, it's the black costume. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good point. Think about it. (laughs) You know, one other thing that I want to point out in this book, there's a third character in this little trio of woe and evil and torture vermin. Mm -hmm. He maybe doesn't get enough credit in this story. His character, to me, really pushed the boundary. I relate him to the ball in Pong. If Spider-Man's the <laughs> left paddle and Craven's the right paddle, Vermin is the little ball bouncing back and forth between these two aggressive personalities. And he really just wanted to be left alone and eat people. That's all he wanted to do. What's yeah, wrong with just, that? Yeah. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he just wanted to eat people in the sewer, which was still is um, still very unsettling. That scene with the the woman, and then later you see Mm -hmm. her bones, and it just right. Wow. At the time, we were dealing with a lot of stuff in America, like Ted Bundy and BTK was still around and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Oh, that's a good point. I definitely feel like they were tapping into that fear. You know, your son of Mm -hmm. Sam's, your your serial killers running amok. I mean, that was that was pretty fresh in everybody's memory at that time. And that's what they did with him. He wasn't just a supervillain. He wasn't just a, a, you know, a rat man, a freak. He was a cannibal. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of wish that I had read this story during the time when it came out because I live in Tallahassee, Florida, where Ted Bundy was originally. That's right. Know, yeah. That's where he committed the murders at the university. He wasn't arrested here in Tallahassee. He was arrested in Panama City, which is just a little bit west of us here. Mm-hmm. But this was kind of the focal point because he started off a trial here, then it moved to Miami. It would have been interesting to be reading this storyline I don't know if I would have pulled the same parallel then, but now with hindsight being 2020, I can understand right. what you're saying. I was living in Orlando when this book came out. Like I, I lived in Orlando, Florida at the time. And I remember it was Ted Bundy was on the news because mm-hmm. right. um, he was up for his appeals and so he didn't get executed for like another two years. But like, for me, that's how it, how it happened was because, you know, my parents watched the news Mm-hmm. I was watching the news with them and I'm reading Spider-Man comics and I started making these connections that maybe didn't exist because again, I'd never spoken to the writer about it. Right. But it was still interesting though, right? Mm-hmm. Good timing, I guess. I'm sure it was in the back of everybody's head at the time because, uh, it, you know, I think there was a, a, another spike in writing styles like that around the time that Jeffrey Dahmer was when he got busted. So mm-hmm. oh, um, yeah, it's a horrific act. It's not, you know, the Green Goblin's not down in sewers eating people. He's blowing people up with pumpkin bombs, which is horrible. Right. And he usually kills hundreds of people at a time. But it's easier to gloss over people getting exploded and, like, the Green Goblin laughing and flying away mm-hmm. than seeing somebody getting dragged down into a sewer and then you see their bones being gnawed off. Mm-hmm. It's because, you know, a bomb is – it doesn't feel as personal of a violation. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about somebody – pulling somebody down into a sewer and then eating them. That's Mm -hmm. a very emotional, personal torment that is completely on a different level than a mass killing. Like you're talking about with a pumpkin bomb. I mean, I know that I'm waxing poetic about, you know, something that happens in comic books, but it's true that I think that's what draws us into some of these stories. The more personal, Mm -hmm. the storyline, the more, gravitating it is toward that side of our psyche it the more it pulls you in right it's certainly like one of the most horrific things in a spider-man comic book though yeah for sure. yes. absolutely with all that being said who do you guys think won this battle craven or spider-man uh, it's tough because i think craven got what he wanted yeah craven got what he wanted he knocked spider-man down a few pegs and got, got his ultimate goal of being you know, defeating the spider and becoming the spider. Uh, you know, Spider-Man still gets his happy ending. He defeats Vermin um, on his own, uh, which they kept alluding to that he had to have help the first time he faced him with Captain America. Uh, and he got to go back and be with his wife. But uh, he got put through the ringer 
big time. Yeah, I'd say Craven one. Okay, Craven one. Fair enough. Yeah, I kind of got to wonder if this isn't one of the rare instances where the evil side of the coin actually lands up. Right. Because most of the time with the especially Marvel and DC, mm-hmm. they're going to lead you down the primrose path that, OK, yes, our bad, our good guy is up against the most extraordinary circumstances. How are they going to pull it off? And then somehow miraculously they do. But in this case, I know Spider-Man eventually defeated Vermin. He did end up back with Mary Jane safe and sound, you know, even though he's a little worse for wear mentally. But I don't think he won. I think you're right that Craven did. And I don't think that happens very often in the comic book world, or at least at that time when this was written. I don't think that happened very often. And I think you have to look at the the, the three issues that, that come after Craven's last hunt, the Mad Dog Ward, because he ends up in a mental institution. Mm-hmm. That's another, you know, tick in the box of Craven winning, right? Craven yeah. sends him to the loony bin. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would recommend that after you read Craven's last hunt, read Mad Dog Ward and see what you think. Okay. Well, I'm definitely going to pick that up. Absolutely. In the next episode of the Transformers, the evil Decepticons create a tremendous tidal wave. Optimus Prime battles his arch enemy Megatron high atop Sherman Dam, and Megatron discovers the ruby crystals of Burma. The Via VHS podcast is changing lives. Here's some testimonials. Bill from Tallahassee, Florida says, I was able to quit my job and get a Ferrari, just like Magnum P.I. Sue from San Diego, California says, Wow, it really helped with my crippling depression. Thanks, Via VHS. And Tom from Charlotte, North Carolina says, It cured my genital warts. Wow. Listen to the Via VHS podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so email your thoughts, suggestions, questions, ideas, or complaints on this or any other episode to podcast at drawnandpaneled.com. And that will wrap it up for another edition of the Drawn and Paneled podcast. Guys, had a lot of fun today, oh, but yes. before we get out of here... I want to give Joe a chance to shout out all the places people can find his wonderful work. Thanks, guys. So Carpe Noctum is currently on Kickstarter. It's a giant-sized art book full of pinups, and uh, so you can go to Kickstarter to find that. Uh, Otherwise, you can go to www.josephschmalke.com. Schmalke is spelled S-C-H-M-A-L-K-E. And from there, you can go to my Etsy store to pick up Cherry Blackbird, The Infernal Pact. I've got toys and all sorts of cool stuff. So check out my artwork. Check out my books. In April, The Electric Black will be coming out from Scout. And uh, all they need to do is put it in their diamond order. All right. There you go. Well... Once again, Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Jason, always fun to have you here. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed the book. And we will see you guys next time. See you guys later. Take care. This podcast is an affiliate of the GWW Radio Network. Visit Geeks Worldwide at thegww.com for news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, TV, cosplay, and more.
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> so, no. Right.